This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, a couple of years ago, uh, Jill and the boys and I, we came home from a late Sunday lunch to find the entire driver's side of my car completely caved in. It was just parked out in front of the house, and it was caved in. And we found out later that afternoon that it was actually our neighbor across the road. His son had uh, backed right into the side of my car. And so we took it to the shop, and they're like, no problem. We're going to have this thing fixed in a couple of weeks. Don't worry about it. And a couple of weeks later, they called, and they said, you know what? Things still look good. We're, just, we're waiting on parts, you know, COVID, right? Everything was late for COVID. Things are still late because of that. And uh, no worries. And they called a couple weeks later to say, hey, still on track, still looking good, still waiting on parts, though. Called a couple weeks later again. A couple weeks after that, though, they didn't call anymore. And so I called them. And the person who answered just so casually said, oh, yeah, it says here, uh, your car's been totaled. I was like, huh? You just said it was on track. And so I asked to speak to the mechanic. And they put the mechanic on, and they said, yeah, so here's the deal. Once the parts finally arrived, we actually started taking your car apart, and we realized, uh-uh, it ain't happening. It, it was damaged beyond repair. It would, it would be impossible to restore it to a state where it would be safe to drive. He's like, we could make it look the same, but it'll never be the same. I'm like, that was a bummer. And, uh, you know, like to this day, I still have this dream that the shop's going to call, and they're going to say, it's ready to pick up. Your car has been restored. And the best part of the whole thing is I could return that like really boring automatic rental car and get my six-speed back. And all God's stick shift people said, amen. <laughs> and then when, in this dream, when I would go to ask the mechanic, but like, how did you do it? it like, it, it looked like it was impossible. It looked like it was total. The mechanic would tell me, nothing is impossible with us. And they would then get a five-star review. That didn't happen. They didn't get the five-star review. They just didn't get a review. But, you know, our world's pretty banged up, isn't it? Our world's pretty banged up, and it, it, it feels when you look outside, when you watch the news, when you read the paper, when you look at social media, it looks as though it's beyond repair, doesn't it? It looks like we might as well just declare this whole thing totaled and start over. But that's nothing new. It's been this way for a while. And I don't just mean since the start of the pandemic. I don't just mean since the 2016 election. I, I don't just mean the last few decades. No, it's been broken ever since the garden, hasn't it? We're just more aware now of how broken it really is. But as bad as the world is, what if I told you it's not beyond repair? What if I told you God's not going to scrap it because nothing is impossible with God? Would you believe me? Because that's essentially what God said in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? He's like, you broke it. I'll fix it. I'm going to send some help. Trust me. And then he gave these updates every so often, didn't he? He gave updates to Abraham, Moses, to David, to Isaiah, to Malachi. He's like, I got this. Trust me, he's still coming. But then the update stopped. And, and God's people, Israel, they, they wondered if maybe God spoke too soon. 
If maybe God found out the damage was worse than he thought when he started to open it up and it was actually beyond repair, the world was in fact totaled. But then after 400 years of silence came the call the world had been waiting for, a call of good news, of great joy that we're going to look at this morning as we continue our Advent series in the opening chapter of Luke, a story of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and announcing the good news. But that's the tension that we are entering into and living out during the Advent season. The first in the church liturgical calendar, this lived remembrance of the life of Christ by the body of Christ that we talked about last week. Entering into the story of Israel waiting in silence for Christ's coming, his first advent, and living that out as we wait for and cry out for his return in his second. And in the story, we're going to see four things take place. First, we're going to see Gabriel's announcement of good news. We're going to see Gabriel's answer to Mary's question. We're going to see Gabriel offer Mary assurance, and then we're going to see Mary's acceptance. And so first here, we're going to see Gabriel's announcement of good news. We're going to see the angel come in. And, and this story, it takes place about, um, it's been seven days since we last gathered in the timeline of Luke. It's been about six months since last week's story. It's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with her son John, as the angel Gabriel was sent from God, right, sent from heaven, and he was sent to the middle of nowhere. He was sent to a city in the region of Galilee named Nazareth. And when Luke uh, uses the word city, he's being more than a little generous here. Uh, he really meant like a tiny little village that no one had ever really heard of or no one ever really cared about. One that people say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It'd be like me saying, I came from a city of Iowa named Kyoto. And you're like, huh? And I say, exactly. And I was a tiny little farm town of about 1,000 people, uh, one bar, one post office, no stoplights, uh, barely even any stop signs, just one that the cop could pull you over. Town was so small and insignificant, the town two towns over, they'd never even heard of us, even though we were in the same conference. They were like, Kyoto who? But Gabriel, he, not only sent, he was not only sent to a place few people had ever heard of, he was sent to deliver a message to a person few people had ever heard of. He was sent, essentially, to a, a nobody from nowhere. Look at what, happened, what he says in verse 27. Luke writes, he was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And she was betrothed to a descendant of King David. That's kind of somebody. This was the, the royal line that was to give birth to the promised Messiah. But Mary, she was, she was betrothed to Joseph. And in and, and this time, uh, betrothal was something that um, young girls entered into about the age of 12 or 13, entering into this year-long period of time where the couple was legally married. They were declared husband and wife, but they weren't yet living together. They hadn't yet consummated their marriage. And, and so today, think of, um, think of like a middle schooler. Today, she'd be like in seventh grade. You know, later this afternoon, Mary, she'd be going to Redemption Youth, but the thing is, she couldn't drive herself. She'd need mom and dad to drive her there because she's too young to drive. She's too young to even stay home alone in the state of Illinois. you got to be 14. That's just a little bit of free advice to parents so you don't leave your kids home till then. Like, that's who God sent the angel Gabriel to visit. That's who he sent Gabriel to announce this good news of great joy to. Right? Not, a, not a priest in the holy place of the temple, 
like we saw with Zechariah last week, but to an unknown girl from an unknown village. And he came to her in verse 28, and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And so to the world, she may have been an unknown girl from an unknown village, but not to God. Now, what we see here is that God knew Mary, didn't he? He knew her, and he looked on her with favor, it says. This, this poor young girl with no special standing, no, no social status, no value to the world other than her ability to bear children. She was known by God. She was favored by God. And we see stories like this throughout Luke's gospel, don't we? That's what makes Luke's gospel so, so special. He, he tells the stories of those marginalized by society, giving a voice to those who had no voice, to the outcast and the oppressed, to the sick and the lame and the poor and the women. What he's doing is he's showing in these stories just how upside down and broken our world truly is, showing how how the kingdom of God, it, it is breaking through and introducing a currency counter to our culture, valuing those who the world saw as having no value is showing how Jesus invited in those the world had pushed away. Dr. Scott McKnight and uh, Laura Berenger, they, they write in their book, um, A Church Called Tav, they say, the heart of Jesus' mission is the wounded, the neglected, the ignored, the abused, the lost, the violated. He sees them. He doesn't just see them. He knows them because he has the eyes of God. God knew Mary. But not only that, what we see here is that God, was, God came to Mary, didn't he? He was with her. He is sending his, his messenger, which is what angel means to her. Uh, Fleming Rutledge, in her book uh, called Advent, a collection of her Advent sermons, she writes, angels are living embodiments of God's powerful presence and activity in the world. And so when a biblical writer speaks of angels, they mean God is present and at work shaping events according to his purpose. So something significant is taking place here. Because the language Luke uses, it's, it's the same type of language we see back in the Old Testament when God had chosen a person for a very special purpose. Only here we see he had chosen the most unlikely of candidates in Mary. So it says in verse 29 that she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And she, she was confused, right? This didn't make any sense to her. She's like, why, why are you here? Are you, are you looking for someone else? Did you mean another Mary? Did you get the wrong address? Because that happens sometimes. That's kind of what I was wondering the day a while back when the uh, Mount Prospect uh, SWAT team showed up at church one day. And uh, they, they came to the door, and they said uh, that there was an active shooter situation going on in this building. And uh, I was like, are you sure you didn't mean 505 East Golf instead of West Golf? Did you mean like Arlington Heights instead of uh, Mount Prospect? 
And whereas the cops, they told us to immediately vacate the building as they stormed in with assault rifles, I'm pretty sure scaring poor Annalise, who was working in the lobby with her headphones on half to death. Um, the angel said to Mary, by the way, that's another story for another time. That's like a teaser story of the day that the SWAT team showed up at church. Because some of you are like, can we hear more about this? Got to get you back. The angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. Three times. In these opening two chapters of Luke, we see an angel appear. Last week to Zechariah, today to Mary, and later on to the shepherds. And three times we hear an angel say, do not be afraid. And each time the angel says, why? And here, Gabriel, he says, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. This, this young girl, she was a recipient of God's grace in a special and unique way. He goes on to say in verse 31, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Like this, this ordinary girl from a, an ordinary village, she was to give her son a very ordinary name, Yeshua. It had been in the top 10 boys list for years. It was like Ashley for girls. So Neener Neener, I have a very ordinary name, kind of, sort of. But this child, he was going to be anything but ordinary, wasn't he? he? It says, he will be great. He will be extraordinary, and, and, and here's why. He says, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What would make this child, her, her son, unlike any other that had ever been born? For one was his divinity, right? His divinity as the son of the most high, a name synonymous with son of God. Son of the most high, it's the name that uh, Melchizedek used for God in his prayer in Genesis 14. It's the name that Balaam used in his oracle in Numbers 24. It's the name Daniel used as he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 4. Gabriel is saying that this child would not simply and only be human in nature, but also divine, fully and truly human, fully and truly divine, of the same essence as the Father, as the Nicene Creed writes, sharing in the same character and nature as God. His divinity would make him unlike any other child born, but also his royalty. His royalty as a son of King David, sitting on the throne of his ancestral father, the, the offspring that God promised through the prophet Nathan, the shoot from the stump of Jesse God promised to Isaiah, the, the promised king of Psalm 2 that God would set on his holy hill of Zion. He would be unlike any other child because of his divinity, because of his royalty, but also, number three, because of his authority as one who will reign over the house of Jacob, reign over God's people forever. He would be the righteous branch that God promised to Jeremiah, who would reign as king and deal wisely, executing justice and righteousness in the land. And of his kingdom, Gabriel says, there will be no end. 
This was the very child that Isaiah had spoke of some 700 years ago when he said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Gabriel's announcement of good news of great joy was that he was now doing this. That the child had promised the Messiah, he was, he was on his way. And so Mary, she, she responded to this incredible news, this encounter with God's presence in his messenger and angel. She responds with a question. And she asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Since I am betrothed but not yet having consummated our marriage. And to kind of put this into perspective for us today, it's as if she had just been told she was going to win the lottery, okay? And the only question she asks is where she's going to get the dollar bill to buy the ticket. She has no doubt that she's actually going to win. She believes what God has said. And it couldn't be any different than what we saw last week. Last week, remember, uh, we saw Zechariah. Zechariah was terrified, right? He was about to pass out when the angel shows up. And when he was told that his wife Elizabeth, who was unable to have children, would actually bear a son, he doubted God's ability to do what he said he would do. And he demanded a sign. He needed proof that this was possible, but not Mary. Mary, she's, she's just encountered an angel. She's been told she's going to give birth to the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the, the long-awaited King. And this middle schooler, the seventh grader, she's just taking it all in stride. Her only question is how she would conceive. And she wasn't skeptical, she's just merely curious. She's not doubting if God can do what he said he would do. She is simply standing in awe and wondering how. And so Gabriel, he goes on to answer Mary's rather innocent and legitimate question. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God's going to do this, not Joseph. His, his presence will come upon you. Just as the, the Spirit hovered over the water as God spoke creation into existence. His power will overshadow you just as his Shekinah glory filled the Holy of Holies in the temple. And, and this virgin birth, it was the sign God had spoken of to the prophet Isaiah. A sign that was, in fact, fulfilled in part in his day and now being fulfilled in full in this day that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God's presence and power dwelling among us. And therefore, as a result, this child to be born, this baby boy, this flesh and blood knit together in his mother's womb will be called holy. He will be called divine, set apart by God as a son of God. Think about this. This is who Jesus is. 
the eternal divine word of God, who John says was in the beginning with God as God, the one through whom all things were created, he would become flesh. He would come to us and dwell among us as one of us. That's why the early church declared in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, divine and human, fully and truly God, fully and truly man. But Gabriel not only provided Mary with an answer to her question, he also offers her assurance. He offers a sign that she had not asked for. And he says in verse 36, he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And Gabriel here, he is assuring her that our faith in what God has promised to do is founded on what God has already done. He will fulfill every promise he has ever made. His word will not fail. It will go forth and accomplish all it's set up to do. And just as God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a miraculous birth, just as he blessed their son Isaac and his wife Rebekah, just as they blessed Elkanah and his wife Hannah, just as God had blessed Mary's relatives Zechariah and Elizabeth with a child, all in miraculous ways, he was now about to do the same for Mary. This would be a most miraculous birth. For nothing, the angel says, no footnote. Nothing will be impossible with God. The same God who parted the Red Sea, who made water flow out of a rock, who rained down bread from heaven, the God who spoke creation into existence, nothing is impossible for him, amen? Nothing. And I think that's why this verse has come to mean so much to me and to my wife. Because as I shared last week, there was a time we thought it was going to be impossible for us to have children on our own. And yet there they sit right there. Hi, guys. Ethan Samuel, named after Hannah's son Samuel, because like Hannah, we asked for him from the Lord. And Sean Gabriel. Hey, buddy. Named after the angel Gabriel is a reminder that nothing will be impossible with God. As the NIV writes, no word from God will ever fail. Nothing is beyond his power. Nothing is beyond his ability. Everything God has spoken will be. And I don't say this to let you know that everything you've prayed for will come to pass, but as we talked last week, that you would hold on to hope. And look at what Mary does. She responds with wisdom and experience and maturity, I think, beyond anything we may have ever seen. What we see next is Mary's acceptance. It says in verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She humbly accepts God's word in its fullness every word, every dot and iota, acknowledging like, I don't know what all this means for me, 
but I trust you, God. I don't know exactly what this path entails. I don't know exactly where this path leads, but I'm going to follow you, God. She's surrendering her life to God. She's accepting his will in his way, living out his will in, in faithful obedience to his words. She's living out the very prayer that her son would go on to teach his followers to pray for God's will to be done on earth in and through her life as it is in heaven. And it is that faithful obedience that's why what we're going to see next week when her relative Elizabeth, that's why she says to Mary, blessed are you among women. Because she believed there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord by his messenger. Blessed are you among women for your faithful obedience. Dr. Joan Chittister, who writes in her book, The Liturgical Year, that we looked at last week, she writes, while while Mary is, as the ancient prayer reminds us, blessed among women, as Elizabeth will go on to say, she says she is simply a woman like ourselves. Mary was a sinner in need of a savior. Mary was a normal 13-year-old girl. But yet at the same time, she was one whose acceptance of the will of God changed the trajectory of humanity, the faithful obedience of a young girl. And then Dr. Chittister goes on to ask, if God worked through one woman to bring about redemption, and again, what she's not saying is that Mary is the one in whom we are redeemed, but her faithful obedience helped take part and participate in God's plan of redemption, right? If God worked through one woman to bring redemption, how is it that anyone can argue that God does not go on working through other women as well? Other men as well. Other seventh grade middle schoolers as well. How is it that anyone can argue that God doesn't go on working through you as well? Through us as a church as well. That's humbling, isn't it? It's like both humbling and encouraging all at the same time. I think the reminder for us this Advent season in this lived remembrance as we enter into this story of Israel's waiting for Christ to come and living out our own waiting for his return is that we would continue to hold on to hope, knowing that nothing will be impossible with God. Amen? Nothing. And so our world is broken as it is, like every aspect infected by the spread of sin, the, the shroud of death and darkness. It's not beyond repair. God's not going to one day open the world up and see something that shocks him, that surprises him, that is, is beyond him, and realize, oh, I spoke too soon. God didn't bite off more than he can chew when he said he would do what he would do. Instead, God continues to say to us through his word and through his spirit, I've got this, guys, trust me. He's come and he's gonna come again. Because when Jesus told John in Revelation 21, behold, I am making all things new, he meant what he said and he will fulfill what he promised. He says, for these words are trustworthy and true. And that changes the way that we wait in the Advent season. 
the way we wait for Christ's promised return, his second advent, by, by first off waiting with hope. Right? We, we wait with hope. We, we look at the world around us. We see the brokenness, and it can be too much at times, can it? It can be overwhelming. The unanswered prayers, the suffering, the impression, the injustice that we see, that we feel. And we can think it's too much. It's beyond my ability. It's beyond our ability. And therefore, it must also be on God's ability. But that's not what Scripture tells us. It says nothing is impossible with God. And so we wait with hope for God to fulfill what he has promised. But we also wait with anticipation. We wait with longing and expectation. Because Jesus, he told John, surely I am coming soon. And so we cry out with one loud voice, come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Come, Lord Jesus. One more time. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for his return. We long for the reign of our king as he rights the wrongs, as he restores all that is broken, resurrecting our bodies and renewing creation. It will be restored. It is not told. And so we wait with anticipation and expectation. But like Mary, we also wait in faithful obedience to God. Following the way of Jesus and faithful obedience to the words of Jesus as servants of the Lord, declaring to God, let it be to me. Let it be to us according to your word to what you have spoken, to the way that you have called us to live. Whatever it may be, according to your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Advent is that reminder that the one who has come will come again. God's kingdom has already broken through. The light is is shining through the darkness. And God is present with us as we wait. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.